You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. It is Tuesday, June 20th. June is a special day when it comes to our nutrition segment here on Faith and Family. That means, well, one thing. Our friends from the Dairy Council, our friend Camille Smith, she's a registered dietitian and nutrition educator with the St. Louis District Dairy Council, back in studio today to celebrate June Dairy Month. Camille, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Andy, and happy June Dairy Month to you. It is always fun to have you in studio because, one, I learn something about nutrition. I learn some some great tips for staying on top of my nutrition, not only for me, but also for my family, for for my uh, for my wife and son, but also for, uh, for my parents as well. So uh, we have some great nutrition topics to cover today. And as June Dairy Month is a, uh, a unique celebration uh, for the St. Louis District Dairy Council. We have some fun guests in studio and on the phone as well today. We have guests in studio today, friends from LSS, Lutheran Senior Services, Laclede Groves joining us in studio. We have Barbara. Where's Barbara? Right here. Barbara's over <laughs> here. Uh, good morning, Barbara. And uh, we also have Bev in studio. Where's Bev? There's Bev and Doris. And Dorothy, all from LSS Laclede Groves. We're going to learn more about them in just a little bit. And they're going to be our taste test panel as we uh, look forward to some some samples in studio today. Uh, Any hints as to what we're going to sample in studio today, Camille? I will give you this hint. All of the recipes that we've selected for today are from a very special cookbook from the 1930s. Excellent. Looking Mm -hmm. forward to sampling that. June Dairy Month, we're also... We're also celebrating dairy farmers today, and we have a very special guest with us on phone today, uh, Frank Dahl. He's president of the St. Louis District Dairy Council Board and an Illinois dairy farmer. Frank, welcome to Faith and Family. Yes, uh, good morning, Andy. Thanks for having me. Oh, such a joy to have you with us and learn about your work as a dairy farmer. When did you first start your career as a dairy farmer? Well, I was born in 1969, so about 1970, probably is about when I started. I was uh, walked outside and has been part of the dairy farm ever since. And what would you say is the most challenging about the your life and work as a dairy farmer? Uh, the most challenging is is I would say just the I, I would get the weather at most times. The, the summertime is probably the most challenging part of being a dairy farmer. Uh, the heat uh, we to manage our cows they 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 can't sweat. So just keeping them cool and comfortable in the summer months is is, uh, is a 24/7 job. Um, they they uh, like the shade. We've put fans, we put sprinklers, and uh, fresh feed in front of them all the time. They lay on sand bedded stalls. So it's just uh, it's just a lot of work because they weigh 15, 1800 pounds, and like I said, they're covered in hair. And uh, the heat is just not good for them. And it just uh, makes the probably the most uh, challenging part of my job is summer months. You know, since you mentioned cows, a pretty significant part of dairy farming, uh, being a dairy farmer, describe that relationship between the dairy farmer and the cow. Uh, maybe, may I give a little background, too? I'm, I'm the third generation on, on our farm. My grandfather started in the 1930s, and my dad took over, then I've taken over him. And then I have two boys that are in 17 and 15, and hopefully they, one of them maybe shows a little interest in the farm. But the relationship started, you know, back when my grandfather started, he milked just a couple cows, and that's just what they, they lived on. You know, they had cow milk and, and, and cream, and then, you know, obviously meat eventually came from those cows. But as, as it's matured, our farm has matured. My dad took over and became more of a commercial dairyman, and I have expanded more. I milk 184 cows this morning, and um, we take care of our cows every day. I milk three times a day. Like, every eight hours I milk them. 
and uh, I take care of them. I mean, they eat before I eat. I, I make sure they're taken care of. They got water. They got food. Get a nice place to lay down, and before I take like my morning breakfast or something like that, I've already milked and fed. And and our life, my life, centers around the cows. It's it's a lifestyle, and you got to make sure you take good care of them because the better care you take of your animals and your cows, the better care they'll take of you. What time does your day start? Uh, my day starts a little before five in the morning, and uh, we actually start milking cows at six. By the time I, I live like one mile away from the dairy farm, my my mom and dad still live on the farm. And then by the time I get cows into milk, and, and it takes about two and a half hours to, to milk 180 cows. And we harvest about, um, oh, uh, in a day's time, we harvest a little more than 1,500 gallons, 1,600 gallons of milk right now a day. And uh, my day usually ends somewhere around 7, 8 o'clock at night. Most most days, are, that's a, an average day. What would you say is the most typical question, most common question you get about your work as a dairy farmer for the from those outside of the industry? Uh, that's uh, <laughs> probably the best. Most questions: Why do you do it? You know, because it, it's it's a lifestyle. You're here all the time, um, and I, I think it's just something you're born with, and and gets in your blood, and you really enjoy it. And I like working with animals, and I, I also like the other dairy farmers in our community. We're all friends, and we get along. We share challenges and we also share the accomplishments we do and and we try to push each other make each other better and the camaraderie that we have as as dairy farmers because we're there's there's less than 40,000 dairy farmers left in the United States and we're shrinking all the time and and uh, I think it's a a close-knit group and and I think that's the aspect I really like and and I like sharing the experience of the dairy farm with people who've never been to a dairy farm or been a long time since they've seen a dairy cow so I think that's a, a neat part of my job. Frank Dahl, uh, Illinois dairy farmer and president of the St. Louis District Dairy Council Board. Thanks so much for being our guest today on Faith and Family. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. In studio today, unfortunately, Frank's not going to get to enjoy all the in-studio samples that we get to. But uh, let's learn a little bit more about our panel this morning. Let's see. Uh, now, we have some who, some in our panel who grew up on a dairy farm. Who is that? Tell us a little bit about uh, your life on the, the dairy farm. What you know, Frank mentioned that that they they milk about 180 cows a day. How many cows a day did, were, was your family milking on the farm? Well, I'm Doris, and, and uh, we we had the, the, this was the era before milking machines. So my father and my sister and I regularly milked 12 cows, morning and evening. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, animals do not realize there's holidays or Sundays. So you, <laughs> you're never never off. Dead. There's never a day off. We um, <clears throat> produced quite a lot of milk, which went to a creamery. We delivered it to a creamery. We did not make our own butter, but we did make uh, our own cottage cheese and many other things with the milk. And I often have <clears throat> individuals, or especially the younger generation, ask me, you mean you drank that raw milk? <laughs> and... Yes, we did. It was and, pure. It was very pure, right from the animal. And uh, it tastes a little bit different, I'm sure. Quite different. <laughs> Quite different. It was, it was fresh and warm. Well, and we have some other guests who grew up on a farm mm-hmm. as well. Now, mm-hmm. Doris Bar- shared with us, Barbara, Barbara, tell us a little bit about your life on the farm. Well, my uh, our farm was mostly a family farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we lived there to have our own food. Uh 
we did we only milked about two cows. We had some goats. We had three goats that we milked. And these, as a little kid, I could milk a goat very easily. Um, but we that's what we did. We did it to live. I had a my mother's cousin had a large dairy farm very close to us, and they just milked more and more cows. I also had a chance when I got married. My husband's family had a dairy farm and milked 100 cows, and that's down here in, outside Peavely, Missouri. Mm-hmm. But they went bankrupt in the 30s. But the barn was still there, and we lived on that property for some years, and uh, we could see this great big, and everybody used to go by and say, wow, that's the biggest barn you ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dorothy, you grew up on a farm as well, too. Is that yes, right? Yes, I did. What was life like on the farm for you? You mm-hmm. you mentioned not necessarily a dairy farm, but you had some cows on the farm, right? Yes, we had milk cows. Um, it was a general farm. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. uh, a family farm. My grandfather came from Germany, and he bought this piece of property and built a house there. And we lived in the house that he had built. To begin with, he started with the log cabin Mm -hmm. and built around it then. And I remember us having five rooms, and because there were that that, that much upstairs and downstairs. And a cellar. We had a cellar also. Everybody's got to have a cellar. That's where you you store everything to keep it cool. Mm -hmm. Now, Bev, had you... Any experience on a farm before? No. (laughs) I was not born on a farm. (laughs) I was born in St. Louis, and soon after we moved to Boston, where my father worked in the shipyards during the war. But I do like milk. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Well, you're in the right place. We have some uh, some food to sample today. Some recipes that Camille has brought along. What are we gonna uh, What are we gonna start off with today, Camille? Well, the first recipe that I'd like to introduce to you, it might be familiar to you actually, is called spoon bread. And as St. Louis District Dairy Council is celebrating their 85th birthday, we have been looking through our archives for pictures. We're really in celebration mode. Not only is it June Dairy Month, it's also (laughs) our 85th birthday. So we're in celebration mode, looking through our archives, looking for pictures, looking for nostalgic things to just celebrate our accomplishments over 85 years in promoting this wonderful product, dairy. And we came across a cookbook, which is called The Magic of Milk. 150 dairy dishes and milk drink recipes, as well as another recipe book called The Dairy Cookbook. That one was from 1941. The prior book was from the 1930s and came across this recipe called spoon bread. Have any of you eaten spoon bread? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with spoon bread? I I can't remember, but I I mean, I do remember having tasted it and and talked. Some people had, you know, given it to us for some reason or not. So I remember the name, but I can't remember the texture or anything like that. Was that more from your childhood? Yes. Spoon bread. Okay, so give us some hints about spoon bread. So when I've talked to some of my colleagues about spoon bread, they gave me a little bit of history, and it seems more familiar to to people who maybe grew up in the South. It, I'm going to call it a stick to the ribs kind of kind of food product. Um, it it does contain cornmeal and not a whole lot of ingredients. I'm going to go ahead and spoon some of it up for you. One of my colleagues who did make it ahead of me said that it might be a little bit bland, so she recommended serving it with butter 
and also with honey. So I brought both of those <laughs> in case you're interested. I'll go ahead and put some butter on each of these on each of these plates because everything does taste a little bit better with a little bit of butter, mm. in my opinion. <laughs> and honey. <laughs> Again, some of the foods that we're going to be serving today are definitely things that you might eat in moderation. So moderation to me means not too much, not too little, mm. and. And when we're ce- when we're having celebration foods, moderation definitely comes into play. Now, as you're serving this up, it the smell the the oh the smell is to me reminiscent of of a cake. Uh, I, my mom used to bake cakes a lot when I was a kid for special occasions, and so it, it kind of reminds me of that, like a you know a, a birthday cake sort of smell before it's before it's frosted. Kind of get that sense. It is. And I'm definitely, there's also butter that's in the recipe. So I'm <laughs> smelling a delicious aroma of butter in this room. And there's something interesting about recipes that you find in a book that's from the 1930s. The The difference that I found is that some of the specifics that I typically look for in a recipe were not there. Have you ever looked at a recipe that that was written down by maybe your mother or your grandmother or somebody somebody from generations before you? Did it have all the components that maybe a modern day recipe has? No. <laughs> Not exactly. When the I, measurements were different. The measurements were different. For example, in making this spoon bread, it told me to use a pint of coarse white cornbread or cornmeal rather, a teaspoon of salt, one cup of sour milk. I interpreted that as buttermilk, a tablespoon of butter, an egg white and yolk beaten separately, and a teaspoonful of soda. When I, and then it, it proceeded to tell me to, to bake quickly in a hot oven. And I wasn't sure how to interpret that. Bake quickly <laughs> in a hot oven. That's kind of an important key to making a successful dish. So I did consult some other spoon bread recipes just to kind of get my bearings and maybe get an approximation of what that hot oven temperature could be. So I, I, <laughs> upon consulting a couple other recipes, determined that 350 would be a pretty appropriate temperature, <laughs> and, it, and it worked. Mm. Another component of the recipe that, that's sometimes omitted in, in older recipes would be water. They might, might not think to, to state that it needs water. It's also not going to tell you how many serving sizes it makes or, um, or any of the nutritional information. What, uh, what's... Kind of pan did you bake this in, or did you make it in muffin, muffin pans? Or I ended up using an eight by eight mm-hmm. um, square pan. Now I have to ask, what since you brought up the topic of ovens and uh, not knowing what temperature to bake at, it just said hot oven. Hot oven. What what kind of oven did you have when you lived on the farm? When you grew up on the mm-hmm. farm, do you remember what kind of oven mm-hmm. you had? Yes. What was the what kind uh, of oven? Fire, wood. Wood-fired oven. Yes, wood-fired. And my grandma, even even though she had a later in life had a gas stove, she always used to bake. Mm-hmm. She used still used her fire. And and when you say hot, because I always wonder, Grandma, how can you cook when you don't have a temperature? <laughs> and I'm sure that some of the foods so that, that your grandma prepared were the tastiest, and 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 maybe nobody could make them quite like her. Mm, no. And when I think with a, a wood-fired oven, you get a little bit of that hint of smoke in it, too. There's a, a fun place, a, a, a unique site here in Missouri in uh, in 
uh, Frona, Missouri, um, Saxon Lutheran Memorial has a wood-fired oven, an outdoor oven. Anybody been there before? They I, And I think, I, I'm not sure if they still do this, they used to have a uh, community baking day once a month mm-hmm. where you could prepare your mm-hmm. your recipe, your dough, whatever, and, and bring it in for community baking day. Now, I'm guessing they have a thermometer on there, but can you imagine the days of, of baking in a wood-fired oven? You just, you go for a hot oven bake quickly in a hot oven i guess if that's how you learn how to bake then then you make do with with the resources that you have i must say i must be very spoiled i mean angel food cakes i mean you can't believe and just mm-hmm. and that's the way it was my mother made wonderful co- saturday was baking day mm-hmm. on the farm my mother made wonderful coffee cakes and donuts on saturday mm-hmm. you couldn't wait until saturday because but i always marveled at her baking these things in a in a cook stove mm-hmm. with an oven, had no. It had a small dial on the front that mm-hmm. indicated maybe what perhaps what the temperature was, but you had no way of controlling mm-hmm. that whatsoever, except more wood, mm-hmm. like less wood. In our household, it, we do set a timer most of the time, but our general rule of thumb is when you can smell it, then it's close to. <laughs> when you can smell it, then it's mm-hmm. close to being done. That's that's my wife's rule of thumb, and it it, it actually has worked quite well. Once you start to smell it, just wait a few more minutes and it's probably going to be done. All right. What's the uh, what's the verdict on the spoon bread? What do you Excellent. think? Excellent. Very good. It has a taste a little bit, of course, cornbread, mm-hmm. but then more the texture of a cake rather than bread. I, I thought it tasted more like a cake. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. I was, I was pleasantly surprised at mm-hmm. how, how sweet it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very moist. Mm-hmm. And so, in the uh, in the spoon bread, we had honey would be really good too. <laughs> we had uh, cornbread or, or corn white cornmeal, white cornmeal, mm-hmm. salt, buttermilk, mm-hmm. butter, of course, two eggs, and baking soda. I did add water too. the The recipe that I found in the 1930s cookbook did not call for water, mm-hmm. but I have. I'm not a pro baker, but I've baked enough things to know that that this was probably going to be a really dense and really dry mm-hmm. product. And when I'd read about other spoon breads, it said that it was a very moist, almost mushy product. So when I compared it to other spoon bread recipes that did contain water, there were more modern, modern recipes, I decided I should add some water. Mm-hmm. So I added boiling water to it. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm grateful that I did. This recipe called for buttermilk as opposed to regular milk. What's the difference? There's a difference in acidity. Um, so sometimes people, if they don't have buttermilk, I'm sure that you you ladies know this trick, right? If you don't have buttermilk and you just have regular cow's milk, what might you add to that milk to make it more acidic? Vinegar, vinegar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Excellent. <laughs> I, we've got so many kitchen hacks that we can use at home. Fortunately, <laughs> I did have some buttermilk, but it but it adds some some acidity, and then you you balance that with some baking soda, and you get um, you get some lift. I remember as a child, my grand my grandfather had buttermilk probably every meal. Instead of milk, you know, a lot of the kids and everybody else was having a glass of milk. My grandfather always insisted on having a glass of buttermilk at every meal. And I remember tasting it as a child and thinking that was just atrocious. <laughs> it was so sour. Now it's it's like, totally like different it. palate, but <laughs> someone said they like it. I do. <laughs> 
Barbara likes a, yes. a little bit of buttermilk. Mm-hmm. That would probably that, that would probably Not pair nicely egg. with this cake. <laughs> I bet it the bread. would. I wish I had brought some extra <laughs> buttermilk. It makes me think of just the changes in mm-hmm. dairy products over the years because it used to be very commonplace for someone to have a glass of buttermilk or for people to really mm-hmm. have a taste for that buttermilk, and not as many people do it anymore. And um, likewise with with yogurt, that's something that's very popular now, mm-hmm. but really didn't increase in popularity until about the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's so normal for us. And, and I know my children love yogurt and eat yogurt all the time. It's their go-to snack. <laughs> and and as a even as a child, it wasn't as normal for me to have yogurt around. It was a special treat that that came around a li- as I as I got a little bit older. What is uh, anything else about the spoon bread? About the spoon bread. Well, I'm wondering, do you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? I give it a thumbs thumbs up. up. That's good. Fantastic. Thumbs up. Is there anything that you would add to it to make it more delicious? A little honey. honey. A little honey. And I did I did bring a little bit of honey. If you've if you've got any left or if you want a second helping maybe mm-hmm. later on, I do have some honey. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but it doesn't have a whole lot of sweet in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so spoon bread might be something that, that I add on to my, my family meals. And if you pair that with a nice tall glass of milk or maybe even buttermilk, <laughs> then then that's really gonna keep your battery charged for a while and, and keep you feeling pretty satisfied. I think maybe perhaps we need to send these recipes back with you to Chef Tom <laughs> over at uh, Laclede Groves. I think we can make that happen. And of course, <laughs> these recipes will be available on St. Louis District Dairy Council's website. And I'll make sure to share them with, with Andy and our friends at KFUO. All right. So spoon bread was a success. See, I told you before we came on the air that uh, I've never been disappointed with anything that Camille's brought us to, to sample. Thank you. That's high pressure. <laughs> All right. So we've sampled the spoon bread. It looks like we're moving on to a, uh, a beverage next. Is that Indeed, right? Indeed. Yes. So the next two recipes that I brought along are both beverages and I'm going to call them celebration beverages. These might not be something that, that you would drink every single day unless maybe you have quite the sweet tooth. Um, but as a registered dietitian, I don't always endorse the sweets all the time. They can fit in in moderation, um, but milk can definitely fit in very regularly. In fact, three times a day to make sure we're getting the calcium we need. This this next recipe is called Strawberry Milk Blossom. Mm-hmm. And did, was this one in the, the cookbook as well? This was in the 1930s Magic of Milk cookbook. <laughs> and we were intrigued by it because one of the ingredients is charged water. What do you think that charged water means? Seltzer. A seltzer? I hope we got it right. That's how we interpreted it too. <laughs> so we, we we purchased some carbonated water. This recipe has in it milk. I used 2% milk and strawberry syrup. And then you add charged water to it, or in this case, it's gonna be club soda, some carbonated water to add some bubble. Ooh. And you, you heard that right. <laughs> it got a now little bit. A, we got bubbles. <laughs> now it's a party. It's a party. The bubbly has been opened. And by bubbly, I mean seltzer water. And it it made a little bit of a, um, a, a spritz explosion. No party no party is a party without a little bit of seltzer water. Now, something that, that makes this fun, too, is the bright pink color as well. I know that, that color is a part of the appeal when, it, when we're talking about... Uh, nutrition and and food, uh, color is part of the appeal. Indeed. So the strawberry syrup that was added to this milk gives it a really beautiful pink color. And and I didn't get a chance to let my children sample this, but (laughs) 
Um, but I'll, I'll let I'll let you ladies enjoy it and give give your opinion. But I think that this one is going to be a hit with my family, especially my children, because it has bubbles and it's beautiful and it's pink. And we'll talk about the flavor pretty soon. But but this one really screams to me celebration beverage. Maybe you could put this one in a lovely champagne flute when you're celebrating something special, like an 85th birthday or maybe a June Dairy Month. <laughs> Has anyone had uh, a, a beverage like this before? Anything that, that, that resembles this? I have not. This is it. No. I don't think I have. I feel like I've had a fizzy dairy beverage before, but I'm trying to think of what it would have been. Maybe it was, might have been here. It may have been. <laughs> the only the fizzy dairy product that I've ever tried is kefir or kefir, however you say mm-hmm. it, which is a fermented dairy beverage. Mm-hmm. It almost tastes like a yogurt milk. And that naturally has a little bit of mm-hmm. effervescence, has some bubbles in it, but but that's a naturally occurring kind of bubble. But nor have I ever had a, a fizzy milk drink. I'm seeing some eyes getting a little bit bigger, maybe reacting yeah. to this drink. <laughs> I thought it was going to be, when it moved it over, it looked thicker. And I thought it was going to have the texture maybe of, of a looser milkshake. 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 And then when you put it in your mouth, it's thin. It's thinner. And it was a surprise. More like a Yoo-Hoo. <laughs> more like a Yoo-Hoo. We need to take a quick break. When we come back from that, we'll get more of a response on the uh, strawberry milk blossom. You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. You're probably familiar with the TV show America's Got Talent. Other countries have their own adapted versions. The person who won the grand prize in Romania's Got Talent was Alberta, a very special 14-year-old girl. Abandoned at birth, she was born without arms and half the length of her legs. Alberta sang and played the keyboard with her feet. She's very special because Romania has the second highest abortion rate in the world. It's a miracle she survived the womb. Her foster mom has encouraged Alberta all her young life. The prize happened to be awarded on National Adoption Day, and the cash winnings will be used to promote her singing career and get a ground-level apartment and customized furniture. The rest, she said, will be given to charity. For more information, visit our website at lifeissues.org and stay informed more informed than you've ever been. Hi, I'm Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for you to join me over the weekday noon hour for Moments of Assurance, your lunchtime spiritual recipe. You'll enjoy encouraging scriptures, 
a bit of Bible history and trivia, news items, humor, the kids' corner, and more, all mixed in with faith-strengthening sacred music, a blend just right for your midday hour. So join me, won't you? That's Moments of Assurance over the weekday noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Are you among the millions of Americans living with chronic pain? If so, you may think prescription opioids are the solution. Truth is, opioids only mask the pain, and they come with serious side effects, from nausea to withdrawal symptoms to overdose. There is another choice, physical therapy. Physical therapists treat pain through movement and exercise. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com. This public service announcement is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Hi, I'm Jay Ashcroft. Here at the Secretary of State's office, we take the integrity of our elections seriously. Last November, Missourians agreed and passed Constitutional Amendment 6. Missouri's new photo ID law is now in effect. Have questions about the new voter ID law or need to register to vote? We're here to help. Visit showittovote.com or call 866-868-3245. Remember, if you're registered to vote, you can vote. Sponsored by the Missouri Secretary of State's office. Want to be actively engaged in meaningful service and put your time and talents into action? Volunteer Connection engages, equips, and empowers individuals to serve the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and its national and international ministries at the International Center. Come join us as together we make known the love of Christ. To learn more about Volunteer Connection, please call 314-996-1629. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. It is June Dairy Month. We are celebrating in studio with our friends from the St. Louis District Dairy Council and LSS Lutheran Senior Services, Laclede Groves Senior Living Community. We have friends from LSS in studio serving as our taste test panel today and celebrating June Dairy Month. Uh, the the last dish we sampled or last beverage we sampled from our nutrition educator, Camille Smith, uh, is uh, what we call strawberry milk blossom. So this is a, a milk, glass of milk with uh, strawberry syrup and charged water, or we, we used club soda today. We used club soda. In my family, we call it bubble water, <laughs> the fancy water. <laughs> now, before we uh, took a little pause there, we were starting to get some, some feedback on this. Expectations, We re- I heard some saying you, know, you thought that maybe it was going to be thicker, more like a milkshake, but this was really more of a, 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 a true beverage, a thin beverage. What was uh, what was your response on the the strawberry milk blossom? What did you think over here, Bev? I thought it was very refreshing, and not too sweet, mm-hmm. and a beautiful color. So a nice summertime treat. It is. And Dorothy, did you try some of it? Yes, I did. What did you think? Well, it's, to me, it's unusual for milk. <laughs> Because we didn't have things like that. Didn't have bubbly milk. 
just uh, had milk, milk. Doris, what did you think? I I thought it was okay. I wasn't <laughs> too enthused about it. it was, the color was lovely. <laughs> it was bright, Nutrition, cheery. Nutritionally, I'll let Camille answer. <laughs> Barbara, how about you? I would rather have a glass of milk. Just plain old milk. Okay. Well, I'm I glad it had it. To me, it had an aftertaste. I still have sort of an aftertaste in my mouth. So. <laughs> I see. No, no hurt feelings over this one. And this was mm-hmm. one that was was a little bit exciting to me, just because mm-hmm. I, I I was wondering about the strawberry syrup that might have been available in the 1930s. We were chatting about that a little bit. I wonder what what it would consist of. Probably a more natural product than than the one that I used. I did just purchase a strawberry syrup, the kind that you find near near the other ice cream toppings. Mm-hmm. So it might not have been the most natural flavor, and <laughs> and um, might not might not be agreeing with everybody. I can completely understand that. With berries in season, though, uh, this might be something fun, a fun adventure to uh, to be creative in the kitchen and try to come up with your own strawberry syrup as well. Indeed. The last time that I was here on the show, we used raspberries, almost a, a raspberry puree that was mixed in with the chocolate milk. And it kind of makes me wonder, maybe, maybe a recipe like that that had a mm-hmm. chocolate milk plus a raspberry puree plus some of this charged water, maybe that could make it a little bit effervescent as well. And, and I do like, maybe we didn't get the flavor exactly um, perfect to, to meet your, your taste buds needs, but, but perhaps if we, if we adjusted the, the flavor of the syrup a little bit, it could still be a, a, a plausible celebratory beverage for you in the future. What do you think? Was this a, an, a recipe from the 30s? This was, this was, it was from that 1930s cookbook. Okay, we must remember we're going to puree something. They did not have have blenders. That would have been a laborious task. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why this was a, a special occasion beverage. Yeah, they probably had to work really hard to mash up those berries or use whatever process would have been used to make it a nice, smooth consistency. But um, I think that this one, or some form of it, maybe with a different flavor of syrup or different flavoring, could be a real hit, especially with children who, who might want to celebrate a special birthday and they like those bubbles and a bright fun color, and just a little change of pace. Plus, you're helping contribute to that three servings of dairy that each of us are supposed to choose each day to make sure that we're getting those nine essential nutrients, especially the calcium and the protein um, that, that our bodies need to grow. So I think Barbara's ready to uh, to cleanse the palate or to, to, <laughs> to try something different to, uh, to change the taste here. So we're moving on to something a little bit different. Another little, beverage. Another beverage. And you might hear me shaking over here because this recipe actually told me to beat the, the the finished product. This is a maple cooler. And I decided to go the low-tech route. And instead of beating this, I'm going to give it a vigorous shake. In this maple cooler, we have maple syrup, vanilla, milk, and a dash of salt. And Sounds like ice cream to me. It looks a little bit like ice cream. <laughs> Maple, vanilla, dash of salt, all mixed in the the milk. I, I bet if you uh, rolled it around and then yes. with some ice, <laughs> you'd have a, a very uh, ice cream flavor. Indeed, now, or maybe even put some coffee into this. That would make one delicious latte. Oh, you're right. You're right. Now, let's talk about maple. I like to use maple as uh, maple syrup as a sweetener, real maple syrup uh, for a number of things. Why do you think maple uh, maple syrup in this recipe? 
Well, this um, maple is is a sweetener, right? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a natural sweetener. Syrup syrup is more of a natural sweetener, and and it's just it's one of those flavors that a lot of us associate with breakfast. It's sort of a warm and comforting sort of flavor. I personally am a huge fan of all things maple, so I was really glad that that our team selected this recipe because I I've. If you give me a maple flavored anything, it's probably going to be one of my favorites. I don't mean to influence your decision in any way about how you feel about it. Um, but that I, I did opt to use a, a real maple syrup. So there are a lot of artificial maple syrups mm-hmm. out there, and you can choose whichever one you you prefer or whichever one fits in your budget. The, the artificial ones are a great deal less expensive. So whichever one fits into your budget. Um, I really I went with the the real maple syrup because I love that flavor. It's a little bit different consistency than the artificial one, but but something about that real maple flavor mm-hmm. is so delicious. Now, I have a question for our panel today. Maple syrup. How frequently did you have maple syrup as a as a child? The the real stuff. How frequently would you say you had real maple syrup? We um, I, we never had it because <laughs> there was not available. We for our flavoring for our pancakes and. And we had uh, molasses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Molasses, sorghum. Yes, mm-hmm. which served the same purpose. Sure. I sure. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, sorghum, I think, um, is, uh, is is probably pretty common mm-hmm. here in the Midwest. How about uh, our, our other panels? Any, any uh, panelists, anybody else have uh, have maple syrup as a, as a treat when you were a kid? Now and then. <laughs> Not very often. Not very frequently. Mm-mm. I doubt it. We well, were poor. Let's uh, let's get. Uh, did everybody have a chance to sample this yet? Mm-hmm. Sample the yeah. the maple Wonderful. cooler. Very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your response? I liked it. Yeah. It was very refreshing. <laughs> I thought so too. It was light and Just very. Right. Was I right? Was it reminiscent of uh, ice cream? Somewhat. Yeah, a bit. somewhat. It's very mild. The, it's not a strong mm-hmm. maple taste. Just right. When I sampled this one, I thought that it would make a really nice mm-hmm. mid-morning snack because mm-hmm. sometimes I am craving a little bit of a sweet something. But like you said, it's not overwhelmingly mm-hmm. sweet. It's kind of kind of a mild mm-hmm. sweet. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. when you know when I'm aiming for a mid-morning snack, I want to make sure I'm getting some protein and milk has eight grams of protein per serving. So it might be mm-hmm. just the right snack to sort of satisfy that, mm-hmm. that sweet tooth, but also mm-hmm. give me a boost of nutrition that I'm needing mid-morning. I had a friend from Vermont and she would go back mm. every year and bring the fresh maple. Mm. And it's such a lighter flavor than what we get commercially. And she would make, once a year, she would make it on ice. She'd go out and get, when we had snow, she would collect this fresh as soon as it came down, keep it in her freezer, and invite a bunch of ladies over and put the maple syrup on the snow. And that reminded me of this drink. <laughs> that sounds delicious. I love using maple syrup as a sweetener, and I actually use it to make my own whipped cream rather than using the the store-bought stuff. I'll just buy whipping cream and put that in one of those dessert makers like the the whipped cream makers and add about probably about a tablespoon of maple syrup to real whipping cream and charge it. And uh, it makes tremendous whipped cream for for breakfast or for dessert. (laughs) (laughs) Makes great whipped cream for pancakes. 
delicious. <laughs> One of the recommendations that, that came with this recipe was to consider serving it with whipped cream and chopped pecans. Oh, yeah. So you yes. really wanted to, oh, yeah. to, to bump up the fancy factor for. and the, the refreshing factor. Mm-hmm. That would be a way to plus it up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot, of, uh, a lot of fun ideas in here. Well, any other ideas that, that this has spurred for you as you uh, tasted this? Did it did it make you think of something else you'd like to pair with it? I'm a dunker. I would I could think of a great number of things that I would like to dunk in this maple cooler. I don't know if anybody else has that <laughs> that <laughs> obsession, but I love to dunk. French toast. French toast. I was I was thinking maybe a peanut butter sandwich or something like that too. Yeah. That would be great fun ideas. To dunk. <laughs> Well, this is, a, it, we've covered all our recipes today, Indeed. correct? And we're going to share those with our listeners. Those will be available on the St. Louis District Dairy Council website, so we can provide a link to that. And I'd like to talk more about June Dairy Month. June Dairy Month. Well, June Dairy Month has been celebrated for 80 years. Originally, it was it was celebrated in 1937 when they called it National Milk Month. And the aim of, of that was to help distribute the extra milk that the cows were producing during the summer months. They, they ended up changing the, the name to June Dairy Month instead of National Milk Month. Um, and now we really take that time to, to highlight the health benefits that, that milk and cheese and yogurt deliver. But we also take this time to show our appreciation for the dairy farmers who make this product available, available to us and accessible to us and safe for us. There have been a lot of changes in the dairy industry over the years and definitely to our benefit, dairy products are available very safely. And and as, as you discovered when you got to hear from Frank Dahl, he and and his his colleagues in the dairy industry care so much about their animals and about delivering a quality product to their consumers, and um, and so this is a time that we we kind of give a nod to them and let them know that we really appreciate the hard work that they do and the contributions mm-hmm. they make to our nutrition, but also to our economy where where milk goes, jobs go. Sure, just I think it was Barbara that mentioned earlier that uh, you know they had a few cows on their farm, but also uh, other family members that had a dairy farm and they milked, I think you said about a hundred cows. Is that right? Right. They milked about a hundred cows. And, uh, you know, uh, Frank mentioned that the, he milks 180 plus daily. Three times a day. Three times a day. So, and he said there are fewer dairy farmers today as well. So it's becoming uh, more of a, a very specific uh, career and industry. Right. And, and I, I'm always impressed by not only is it a a physical job, but, Mm -hmm. um, it it just, it it runs the gamut of skills Mm -hmm. to to be a dairy farmer. I feel like you have to be on top of all things. These are family people. They're committed to their families and their communities. They're also successful business people and they, they care about animal welfare. They, they just have to have their finger on the pulse of everything to be Mm -hmm. successful at what they're doing. So I'm always struck by just how, how varied their skills need to be in order to to do that job successfully. It takes so much dedication and devotion to that quality product. So I have all the respect for our dairy farmer friends. When he, uh, the dairyman said that seven days a week, you don't think about holidays. I used to host Thanksgiving and the family members that were dairy farmers, we'd have to have dinner right at 12 o'clock because they milked, they drove to your house, they ate, they rested a while and they had to go back to do it again. So they don't even have a free holiday. 
That's even Christmas, whatever day. Yeah, the cows don't seem to recognize holidays. Yeah, they don't. They just know that they need to be milked or they're going to get rather uncomfortable. So quite a bit has, has changed since the, the 30s when it comes to uh, to the, the dairy industry. Now, I think uh, both what Barbara and Doris mentioned that, that you had cows. How What was the milking process like then? Was it, Were you milking by hand mm-hmm. at that time? Yes, we were milking by hand twice a day. Uh, we, we did have inspections by a milk inspector to make sure we did it as used cleanliness and milk. The, the uh, buckets we milked into were covered buckets with just a small uh, opening in them. Before the, and then the milk had to be taken to the milk shed. Hey, uh, we had to have a special milk milking shed where we poured the milk and cooled it, poured the milk through strainers and cooled it. It had to be cooled. And our man, major source of cooling was our well water <laughs> in, in, a, in a huge... Uh, tank. And that's how we milk, how we cool the milk before we took it to the creamer. So just as health and food safety was important then, there are many standards that are set today for the the dairy industry as well to make sure to ensure that that milk and and dairy products are safe for those who are consuming them. Absolutely, there are safeguards in place that we do not even know are are happening. So I'm I'm grateful for those advances in technology that help keep consumers safe. We can rest assured that there will not be any antibiotics in the milk that we are that we're buying from the grocery store. We know that all the milk has been has been tested, that the cows are healthy, and that the the, the farmers and their team they have veterinarian veterinarians on their teams, they have nutritionists on their teams to ensure that that the cows are healthy and that they're producing a milk that that is healthy for consumers. I didn't realize until just a few years ago, as I learned from the Dairy Council, uh, regarding antibiotics, that, that the milk is tested for that. And if it is, it, even if a whole tanker tests positive for antibiotics, then it's it's void. I mean, it that is void. It will never get to consumers. Mm, that's amazing. It may be interesting to, to talk about uh, uh, breeds of cattle and milk cows also that we had... we. We only had the white and black ones, the Holsteins, but there there were other, which produced a lot of milk, but the, for richer milk, for a higher standard of butterfat, the Guernseys or the uh, Brown Swiss didn't give as much milk in volume as as in um, quality. So it, it was up to the individual farmer, farmer to decide what he wanted to use. And I think, uh, Doris, you, you quoted, uh, you had a... I think it was during the break we talked about a, a misconception among children when it comes to chocolate yes. milk. <laughs> yes. What was that that uh, mm-hmm. that statistic? I don't remember the specific statistic. Do you, Christine? Mm-hmm. I don't. I but it I, it was amazing. Perhaps it was like something like eight percent of the children believe that a s- chocolate milk came from brown cows. Yes. And what, I wonder what that statistic is among adults. <laughs> I hope that it's lower, <laughs> but can't confirm this. We had an uncle that told us that, <laughs> you know, we knew better. He was on a different farm than us, and he always said, well, that's the way it is at my house. <laughs> I've met a couple brown cows. They were lovely cows, and I'm under the impression that they did produce a whitish color of milk as well. It was not, in fact, chocolate. <laughs> 
see, uh, there's our fact checker, Christina from uh, LSS, Laclede Groves, Christina Willey. Seven percent. That's quite an interesting statistic. And you are here to dispel that myth Let's today for us, Camille. Let's set the record straight. <laughs> Brown cows do not produce chocolate milk. I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> they produce a delicious and nutritious white milk. They produce a richer milk. Mm-hmm. More butter fat in, in the milk. And that's a, an interesting point, butter fat, when it comes to milk, uh, the, the fat content in milk. It makes a difference in the taste. Um, what else do we need to know about that? Well, it, it makes a difference in the taste and might make a difference in what that product is used to make. So, mm-hmm. so a higher butter fat product might be used for making ice cream. Or, or or butter. So you mentioned that on on different farms, the farmers get to choose what you know what kind of cow they will raise based on what what volume they they seek to produce and and what their end product will be. So it varies from farm to farm. And I have met some farmers who, um, for the most part, have the black and white cows, the Holsteins, um, but might have a few of, of another breed of cow and and for specific purposes. And um, and it's an advantage of, of being a St. Louis District Dairy Council employee that I've gotten to visit a couple of those farms and gotten to spend some time with those beautiful <laughs> animals and and I don't really care what kind of breed they are. They are just the most precious little calves ever. Now for uh, for Barb and, and, and Doris, for Barbara and Doris, would you describe growing up around the cows, would you describe them as beautiful animals? <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> they, were, they were nice and warm to milk in, in the wintertime. <laughs> we kept warm milking. How can we how can we find out more about June Dairy Month and uh, the recipes for today and uh, anything else you'd like for us to know today? Well, as always, you can come visit us on our website, which is stldairycouncil.org. Or if you're a person who likes to follow us on Facebook, you can find us at STL Dairy Council. And there you'll find various recipes. You'll find out what we're doing in the community. And you can learn more about June Dairy Month and some of the, the farmers who work to produce this, this fantastic product we call milk. To our panel today, thank you so much for providing your, your feedback for us. Did you find something, perhaps something new that you hadn't experienced before? It sounded like no one had, had uh, spoon bread before. Find something new that you haven't had before. Spoon bread was excellent. Uh Mm -hmm. The the spoon bread was excellent. The uh, the strawberry milk blossom kind of didn't get as high ratings, and the the maple cooler. Did we get responses on that? Yes, I think everybody. We had some thumbs up on that, didn't we? (laughs) We had thumbs up on that. Well, fantastic uh, f- to uh, to get to sample these with you all today. It's been fun being in studio with our friends from LSS, Laclede Groves. After just visiting you on uh, on location over at LSS, Laclede Groves, you spent some time, you took the opportunity to come over here and visit us here at KFUO. Thanks so much for making the trip over to visit with us today. Thank it was you. a pleasure to have you all in studio, and uh, it was a pleasure to talk with you. Barbara, thanks for being my guest today. And Doris, thanks so much for being here today. Dorothy, thanks for coming over and sharing with us today. And Bev, thanks so much for being in studio. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Camille, we can find these recipes on St. Louis District Dairy Council's website. Absolutely. And I will also send them your way. Very good. Very good. And celebrating June Dairy Month, 85 years. uh, How are we celebrating? 
we are celebrating with a little bit more sweet. I brought some <laughs> cupcakes. So I hope I hope that your sweet teeth are ready for another treat. I also have some nice cold milk if you'd like to wash down that cupcake. Nothing goes better with a cupcake than a nice cold glass of milk. Happy 85 years to the St. Louis District Dairy Council. Thank you so much for, uh, for letting us be a part of that celebration as well and bringing treats along for us to enjoy. Well, it's been a pleasure having you back in studio today, Camille. Thanks for being our guest and bringing some great stuff for us to some great nutrition for us to sample today. You are welcome and thank you for having me, Andy. Coming up in just a little bit, we have a special announcement right before Thy Strong Word right here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.